Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have uh, Shervin Takir. He's an associate professor at the Yale School of Medicine. Uh, He has a PhD in microbiology and molecular biology from University of Queensland, Australia. And he's worked on um, several lentiviral vectors, RNA, etc. Today we're going to talk about microRNA in the lungs and what what is its role. You know, how does it uh, impact inflammation, lung injury, and, and cancer? So, Sherman, thanks for coming. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. So, what? Uh, how would anyone even know that uh, there's microRNA in the lungs? You know, how is this first uh, found, and why? Yeah. So, uh, microRNAs um, actually came came about from from a study on worms, <laughs> they were, <laughs> they, yeah, there was a number of scientists, there were, there were a number of scientists, they had this astute observation that parts of the genome that are not really classic genes, they do not really code a protein, seem to have a significant effect, a significant um, cellular, molecular, uh, or organic effect in these organisms. And and um, it was a very difficult thing to um, to have people under, un, understand it or uh, or accept the concept. Um, but it took around ten years, really, for people to to understand it and and accept it as a as a as a concept in biology. But then after that, uh, suddenly everybody rushed to figure out what they are doing because it was shown that these microRNAs are a different type of language. They are, they are part of a language that cells use to talk to each other. And no eukaryotic cell that people looked at didn't have them. They were all over. So, you know, the fact that lungs and lung cells also have them, it, you know, is not a big, big surprise. Every cell has it and they use microRNA as a, a tool to um, to talk to each to each other, and that's the most talk. I mean, genes talk to each other through microRNAs. Cells talk to each other through microRNAs. It's part of the language. If you're do coding uh, or com- you know com- computer work, soft software work, there are different levels of language. microRNA is probably one level one one level above genes. And well, one, com- one question: When you say that. Um... Cells use them all the time. Are they expressed in extracellular vesicles, or how are they used? Where so do they, they appear? can be. They can also be packaged into extracellular vesicles. That's a that's a a um, uh, one of the ways that cells can send them to each other. But the 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 the, compl- the more complete work is inside each cell. So, for instance, if a cell wants to communicate with with another cell. A lot of times it's not just one factor. It's not just one message. It's a number of messages. And we have seen this in nature again and again, right? One um, uh, one action takes more than one gene. 
so for instance if a gene if one cell is telling another one you know get activated that is not just sending or releasing one cytokine it's a group of cytokines that are released at the same time now microRNAs we know for sure inside the cell control a group of genes that then are being expressed and released as that message so that's that's how I'm saying there are there are higher levels also, it has been shown that these microRNAs are packaged into ves these vesicles and sent to another cell. So there are multiple levels. You know, they're hard to, um, um, to decipher um, com completely. The magic of microRNA is that they can control many genes or different genes at different times and different genes at different times. So it's a language by itself. So... Uh what happens when microRNA gets into a cell? What does it typically do? Where does it go? And what do they translate into? Yeah, so what we know as, uh, as of now is that if microRNAs get into a different cell, like for instance, if they're packaged and go to a different cell, they can um, use the same machinery that they use in the cell of origin. It seems, seems like the machinery, the, the response machinery that is in RNA cells um, are very similar. Um, this basically the same. They call it RNA-induced silencing complex. And uh, to tell you the truth, I mean, RNA-induced silencing complex, which is a con conglomerate of molecules, uh, this also works in plants. And um, for another group of small RNAs that we call siRNAs or small interfering RNAs, so the machinery is that. That machinery takes one microRNA and then matches genes with it. And the genes that are matched with the microRNA are inhibited. So suddenly this, this machine in the cell of origin or in the target cell gets, gets a microRNA in, matches genes with it, and inhibit those genes. And it seems like the, num the, the type of gene, the number of them depends on the context. Right, you don't want the machine working all the time, or some genes being on and off all the time. Right, things change. Do, do, do microRNAs only inhibit, or do they upregulate as well? So most of the information, maybe more than ninety-five percent of information that we have about microRNAs is inhibitory. Is that they have a role in, in inhibition of genes? Um, they do also. There have been there have been instances that show that micro microRNAs may um, increase the expression of genes and that seems to be dependent on the components of that risk machine that i talked talk to you about um, but as i said the majority of literature and findings is about inhibition um, so i don't know if you're if you're familiar with promoters so, pro, so promoters are factors that increase the, the expression of genes transcription okay. genes, a number of them so microRNAs are the opposite end uh, it seems like these two work together and uh, fine-tune the, ex the expression. Do they preferentially inhibit certain functions and not others? Yes, exactly. That is the power of, of microRNAs. Since it is the, the, they are matched based on sequence, based on the sequence that is in microRNA, they bind to certain genes, to certain genes that have the the receptor, you know, if, if you will, or uh, the, the complementary sequence, they only bind to those genes and not to others. And that's where it comes, it comes from, right? They, they can select. Um, and the, 
good part about it is it's all sequence de dependent. So if you if you if you study the sequence of microRNAs, you 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 know you can predict to some degree which genes are going to be being be inhibited. The interesting part is it, it is that it is not a full complementarity, right? MicroRNAs has have this um, degenerate quote unquote um, nature, meaning that they are not a complete compl complementary sequence, and that gives them the possibility of controlling a number of genes with close sequence sim similarity, hmm. and that's where the selection comes comes from. Um, so, is there a family of genes that uh, again the the microRNAs tend to target ones that are involved in you know this or that or the other? Yes, depending on on the context. So uh, if you if the question is are there any particular group of genes and other group of genes are not affected? No, that's that's not true. Any genes can be affected based on its sequence and based on its exp expression pattern. You know, in a way, microRNAs are telling us, you know, forget about your classification. <laughs> the, the sequence, yeah, the sequence of these microRNAs and the context of the cell. And what is being expressed, being transcribed, will dictate what is inhibited when. The, you know, basically telling us, okay, you want to classify, classify like we do. <laughs> we classify. Well, so, <laughs> what, are, what are some of the, um, yeah, what are some examples? What, what gets inhibited and what, what tissue? All right. Well, for instance, so I, can, I can tell you a little bit about our, our work, uh, the work that, okay. that we are, uh, that we are doing or we did and, and published. This was um, on the inhibition of, um, a number of endothelial genes. I, I mostly work in endothelium. Um, so the work started from an observation that was made years ago and was an odd ob observation that a vascular growth factor, vascular growth factor was high and uh, in patients with asthma, right? So if when you talk to talk about asthma, most of the time you talk about, you know, lung epithelium or immune cells. That's the focus of research mostly. But for years, people have been seeing that, that this vascular growth factor, um, VEGF is called, is up in people who have severe asthma. And then my uh, former PI and uh, Dr. Elias and Chun-Gun Lee, who was working in his lab at the time, they, they defined this in an animal model, animals and cells, that this vascular growth factor um, by itself can induce an asthma phenotype. So that's where I started. And my question was, okay, well, can that be translated to a microRNA? Like, does this vascular growth factor affect a microRNA in endothelial cells? It's or it's just a growth factor that affects, you know, immune cells. Um, and that has been the last 12 years. So I uh, started from cells, went to animals, then, I, then, then went to humans and showed that there is a correlation between this um, VEGF and a particular microRNA, microRNA1. Now, I wanted to see if downstream effects, some of the downstream effects of VEGF can be explained by this microRNA. People knew that, for instance, when VEGF goes up or VEGF is added to a cell in culture, some genes are expressed higher and some genes are expressed lower. This microRNA, microRNA1, we found over the last 10, 12 years that makes a link between these two ob observations. VEGF goes up, and for instance, one of the genes we know about, P-selectin, that is very important in, um, in adhesion of eosinophils, 
uh, goes up, the link between VEGF going up or being added and P-selecting going up is a microRNA in between. That microRNA is microRNA1 that comes down. So VEGF goes up, microRNA1 comes down, P-selectin is released from in inhibition, if, if you will, and is expressed. So well, that makes sense if you're saying microRNAs are inhibitory. Exactly. MicroRNA going down would mean less inhibition. Exactly. Um, in this work, we found four genes apart, I mean, three more genes apart from P-selectin that are inhibited by microRNA1. And um, well, three of them were known before uh, that have some correlation with VEGF and, and one of them was new, um, which, you know, some effects, some uh, cellular effects of VEGF uh, what, can be explained by this new gene that nobody thought belongs to this family and is targeted by this microRNA. The gene is, is MPL that we have we published. Um, and that's why I'm saying, you know, microRNAs are telling us, forget about your classification. <laughs> it's, mm. it's the function and the context and, and how we work. How would you use microRNA changes and what we know about particular genes and other factors to like triangulate? I guess that's what you're saying. I mean, like, we could probably use this to triangulate effects that we wouldn't normally see. It's just another variable, another factor we can look at, right? Exactly. So, um, so for instance, um, I mean, there are there have been a, a number of things like like this, right? When we we have come to an age where we know targeting a single gene a lot of times does not work. We know that, and the reason why it doesn't is that when a cell or an organ is in a is in a specific um, reaction or a specific state, um, it it expresses a number of genes. So if you target one of them, like VEGF we were talk, talking about, there are anti-VEGF drugs available and in use for, in cancer, for instance, because angiogenesis in cancer or vasculature in cancer is very important. Right, right. Um, blocking VEGF in cancer, a lot of times does not give the effect that you want. And the cancer still grows because, because tumors are very smart or resilient they come up right, with right. genes they come up with other genes to to do the same thing around through another pathway right so blocking what one gene a lot of times does not work and i tell you the majority of of the you know molecular biological work right now is based on single genes we are just targeting so are you thinking that microRNA may be uh, more of a lever or more of a factor or stronger than trying to uh, knock out a gene? Or... Yes, exactly. I think the, they're, they're one step closer to inhibiting a group of genes, to, to, to modifying a group of genes rather than one. So if cells, you know, if you inhibit one gene, they come up with another gene that does the same thing in the same pathway. Now targeting a microRNA will give you this possibility of targeting a group of them. Um, so that maybe you're closer to inhibiting a response rather than a single gene. Um, well, there's a lot of redundancy in the body, which you know is for resilience, I would guess. Yes. Um, so it makes sense that, uh, yeah, you can't just always knock out one gene or just use one molecule even to accomplish a task. Exactly, exactly. And there have been some you know, semi-philosophical articles about microRNAs based on based on observations how they actually it's very interesting they use <laughs> the authors have used the same word redundancy how microRNAs 
are used in, in redundant circuits. They, um, they bring about this redundancy uh, or there are how it is done since they are affecting a number of genes. When you target one, another one works through a loop, through a macro. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, so this makes sense. I mean, again, I, I have heard microRNAs are predominant in uh, extracellular vesicles. So, yeah. So it has been. So I tell you, microRNA work is has two. I mean, we, let's talk about the social aspect of it. Maybe I don't know the social scientific part of it. So microRNAs are small and they are resilient in a sense when we talk about degradation. Among RNA scientists, we know <laughs> we know that, for instance. Uh, um, a group of people cannot work with microRNA. A certain type of phenotype cannot work with RNAs, not with microRNA, with RNAs. You know, there's a lot of degradation going on in the labs, and that's one of the difficulties of RNA work. MicroRNAs are actually pretty small, and they, do, they do, and they do not degrade as much as RNAs, at, at messenger RNA. So they can be measured easier. So the point of all this was they actually can be measured easier. Right, they do not. What's uh, what's micro about them is that they're just not very long series yes, of sequences. Their size, or... their size, yes, yes. Like messenger RNA can be anywhere between six, seven hundred base base pair to up to like eight, nine kilobase. Micro RNA is only twenty-two nucleotides. Wow, really? So they are yes. So they are very small. Um, they are very small because they're small. They can be measured, and techniques were developed. 10, 10 years ago that can measure them accurately. Actually, there are not many, but there are a couple of techniques that are very good at measuring microRNAs. So people can measure them easier, right? So then we have this whole this, uh, uh, micro microvesicles or exosome work that came that came about maybe around like five, six years ago, uh, five, five, six years after the microRNA work. And in these, these, these vesicles, one of the first things that people could measure was microRNA. And it made sense, right? If you are sending, based on all the conversation we had, if you're sending a message to another cell, you can control a number of genes in another cell by a microRNA rather than just sending one cytokine. So that's how uh, suddenly the role of microRNAs in microvesicles got so um, uh, got so much press because they could be measured. And that's you know that's what we always face in. In science, you know, what we can measure, we talk about a lot. <laughs> Doesn't mean that yeah, yeah. laser also gives the same <laughs> importance to it. But yeah, um, it has been shown by some, I mean, a number of, a few good, good works shown that microRNA goes to a target cell and affects the translation or gene expression in, in those cells also. Huh. So, um, well, at the beginning of the conversation, you know, the topic was microRNA in the lungs. So where are you finding it? Why is it important? What role does it appear to have? Yeah, so um, so I, as I told you, I, since the, the previous work in our group was on the vascular uh, growth factor, I, my question was, and I was a basic scientist at the time, I was, a, I was a clinical fellow, but I was a basic scientist in my other life. So I just went very simple and I said, I. I asked the simple but unpopular question that, well, what's the role of vasculature then? If you're talking about asthma, right? I, I'm, I'm a, a pulmonologist uh, in a pulmonary section uh, talking all the time about 
endothelium, about vascular cells. Um, so, and I wanted to show, and then I went to this literature about microRNA and uh, how they work. So I think, and then I showed through models, through different methods that changing a microRNA specifically, isolated change of a microRNA in endothelium can affect asthma or allergic uh, inflammation. So as I said, majority of work in asthma is not on vasculature, it's on immune cells and then lung epithelial cells, some, some of them. The, what I'm bringing to the table together with some researchers is that endothelial cells matter in asthma. Um, we, if, we, if you and I were talking about asthma literature, we would probably, you know, out of a one-hour conversation, we will have two sentences about vasculature. It's a part that has not been um, uh, talked about a lot. But my rationale was that, you know, we're talking about immune cells, right? These immune cells, where do they come from? They come from the blood. They have to get into the tissue through the blood. And the gatekeeper is an endothelial cell. So okay. there has to be a very strong um, gene or gene expression or gene expression pattern in the endothelial cell. So the first focus of this work is an endothelial gene is having a big part in allergic inflammation. So I would say that is the first message. And that's how we looked at this, at this, uh, at the well, number of The site of, I guess I'll call it the site of insult. You know, you, you breathe in something and uh, your lungs don't like it. So I'm calling it the site of insult. Does that happen at the endothelium initially? Well, that is, of course. So some of it does. Some of it does. We think that the majority, we still think that the majority of that, in, that insult in something like asthma, or let's say that trigger, let's call it trigger for, for now, that the majority of that is in epithelium because that's the first line of defense. That's the first you know, wall. Um, against an antigen, but then, uh, then epithelium we think talks to end to end to endothelium. So that's one paradigm that the trigger um, affects the epithelium or immune cells that are like macrophages that are in the area and take the message. But and then they can talk to endothelium or get into the vessels and go. Now I should modify the sentence by saying that. The, what you said about damage, right? Damage can happen to endothelium. Trigger can happen to endothelium also. Um, and that is ongoing work. There are factors that are affected in the endo endothelium by exposure to a, to a challenge. And it's a little hard to say, is it all direct or is it through epithelium? We know that endothelium is affected by a large de degree. Um, the current crisis with Coronavirus, for, for instance, or the situation that, that we have is mostly an endothelial phenomenon in the, in the lung. The factors, the, the response is an endothelial phenomenon. Um, epithelium gets damaged, but endothelium causes it. So, so there, are, there is evidence that endothelium gets affected, get, gets triggered, but in allergic infl inflammation, it has been um, mostly behind the scenes and um, not paid attention to as much as epithelium and immune cell. Do you think that um, microRNAs are a huge part of the signaling that goes on? Let's say, again, there's 
the trigger happens in the endothelial cells and then they're sending out, you know, EVs with microRNA in them to signal the immune system or microRNA is just playing that role in general. Well, you know, I am just going based on the, the, the observation in this. And that, that was my question around I don't know, nine years ago when I started this particular work, but I, I changed this microRNA, this one microRNA, one microRNA, only in the endothelium of an animal model. That's all I did. I just changed one microRNA in the endothelium of an animal model. And I found that the allergic response, the asthma type response comes significantly down, significantly decreased. So that's that's the observation. Now, it is, I'm also showing it is affecting, for instance, eosinophil transit into, into the lungs, right? Um, but those are secondary to the single change of microRNA in endothelium. So, you know, that's the observation. How, how are um, microRNAs obtained? You know, how do you know where they are and how to harvest them and that they're the right ones? Yes. Yeah, so um, that was part of it, the, the techniques we worked on and, and developed. Uh, we I, What I did, what I started was isolating the endothelial cells uh, based on their surface mark markers. And when I started, I could isolate three types of cells, three types of well, immune cells, epithelial cells, and endothelial cells. This, all, all those are uh, those uh, those those experiments were done based on a um, immune sorting, uh, meaning with antibodies we sort the cells based on their surface markers, and then in those cells I measured specifically the um, um, the mature, we call them mature microRNAs. Now, as a side, microRNAs are, go through different stages of maturation in the cell, and they are very interesting the way they are um, affected and matured. So I, I measured specifically the mature microRNA, which is the effective type, the, the one that the effector type. Um, I used these two techniques. One of them was sorting of cells, and second was well, a specific measurement of the mature micro microRNAs. And then um, based on that, I measured the, the response, the specific response in endothelium in different states, with VEGF, without VEGF, in asthma, different kind of, um, but yes, so that we developed very early in the work. I, I developed that in the lab and um, we went on from there um, based on these, these two techniques. Hmm. What, what, um, where do microRNAs, what's the uh, biogenesis of them? Like, where do they come from and are they packaged yeah. in any way normally inside the cell? Yes. So microRNAs, they, so far what, what we know is that they are uh, very similar to, um, you know, classic genes. They are transcribed from pieces of DNA, from parts of DNA. This is, again, they Plot, they probably classified as the same, you know, junk DNA, quote, quote unquote, that people talk, talked about for ages that did not, are not classic genes. They cannot be defined as classic genes, but they're stretches of DNA. Um, they, they're called, they are, then they are, they're transcribed from DNA into RNA. And then number of enzymes inside the nucleus and then outside the nucleus in the, cyt- in the cytoplasm work on these different different precursors, right? It's, it's a first a, a long per, precursor, a um, prime microRNA, and then 
that gets worked on by, by an enzyme and then is transferred into the cytoplasm. Another enzyme works on it and then it matures into the small RNA that we call microRNA. Uh, happens in, in, in the, the nucleus and in cytoplasm in different machines, in, inside different machinery, which is, which is by itself a very interesting um, a pathway and worked out and some of them are have even crystal structures of how they work um, and how they can um, measure and cut and um, you know prune and all and all of those things um, for a spe specific message um, they're all parts of the machinery of, of the cell hmm. so what, what's your i mean how big is your goal do you just want to understand them in the context of the lungs and with asthma or do you want to go more broad and, you know, in general, characterize microRNAs and their roles in, in all kinds of functions? Yeah, no, I've been, I already, um, in 2017, I published this work and this, a part of this pathway in cancer. So I'm a more of a molecular, you know, basic molecular biologist. Um, and to me, I think this is a, a way, this um, whole paradigm is showing us a way to um, understand connections that we were not understanding before. A, you know, which gene, which context, and which res response. And I think that's the interesting part from a basic science. I'm also a clinician, so I, you know, I am, I do see asthma patients. I have a lot of COPD emph emphysema patients. I uh, take part in. Um, the care of cancer patients. So yes, yeah, so I am trying to find if um, if microRNAs um, they or what part they play. I, I think the fact that they play very important roles is out of question. We we all know that they they play very important roles. But which is specific genes in which context um, is um, is very interesting, and I think. Very important from a medical point of point. Um, so one part of work is that I published in cancer. Uh, this is an asthma. We also working on lung injury, which is uh, nowadays is pretty famous. Uh, this ARDS after a viral inf infection is a type of lung injury um, in, in endothelium. I am also uh, have been working on uh, the question that you ask. You know, how are they? Um, matured and um, pruned and made and 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 expressed. So we are. I'm also looking on the machinery that specifically brings them about. Parts of this pathway, as I said, is known. Enzymes like dicers called is are known to affect microRNAs. But we are finding we are finding just recently that for a specific types of microRNA is beyond that. It's not just dicer. There are molecules downstream, machinery downstream of dicer that affects the levels of microRNAs. And we are doing experiments on those to define the exact um, pathway. For instance, I just told, told you about dicer, very important enzyme in maturation of microRNA. You can okay. inhibit dicer and very interesting things happen to the cell but still a number of microRNAs work. So that doesn't make sense. There has to be other enzymes involved. And lo and behold, we have found other enzymes that are working on this pathway. So that's uh, one direction of, that I'm going. The other direction is different diseases, as I said. Um, and then, you know, how other RNAs 
uh, talk to microRNAs. I told you microRNAs is one step. They are one level above, right, above the genes. Interesting, it's interesting that since like eight, nine years, years ago that we know there is a, there is a higher level it's called competing endogenous RNA or CE RNA. This is different RNAs in the cell talking to each other, not just microRNAs and genes. There are non, other non-coding RNA that are, that are bigger. They're not small, but they don't code any genes. They seem to be talking to messenger RNAs, to microRNAs. So a lot of conversation going on in the cell. We, we are trying to listen in through the RNA, you know. Yeah, I mean, these RNAs are just a strand of base pairs. I mean, what what other features yes. do they have on them that are unique? What you just said, they're a strand of base pairs. So, so RNA exists as a single as a single strand. Parts of the micro, parts of the RNA base pairs with on on itself. Uh, so the majority of RNAs are like that. There are double there are there are double stranded RNAs in the cells also. But what we know about that and what they do is a is much more limited. A lot of RNAs in the cell are single-stranded. Parts of the molecule is double-stranded because it base pairs with you know, different parts of itself and has a structural role. The work that I did before with Harry Noller was, for instance, he was one of the people who brought about this whole RNA world and how RNA works. And he, he's one of, he was one of the group that showed microRNA. As, uh, RNAs are, mo are molecules that can be both structure and function can can act as enzymes can act as as structure by base pairing and making different types of of of, of modules as as a structure. For instance, the ribosome has a lot of um, RNA structure in it. Um, also, can work as enzyme work on 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 ribozymes. If you have heard, they are RNA enzymes, and here are microRNAs that are not even coding any genes, but affecting other, uh, other uh, RNAs. Um, so yeah, they're fascinating. There are these molecules that have many different function, um, many different facets, if you, if you will. And um, I think there is a lot really to be learned um, from the way they behave. Oh, okay. Well, what's the best way, Sherman, for people to find out more about your work and to, uh, to follow you? So we, uh, I mean, I, uh, I, I published this paper in a journal, Journal of Allergy Clinical Immunology. Um, I, uh, I, I should tell you, I do not <laughs> spend a lot of time uh, making websites and this and that, but I probably uh, will try uh, to put some of it out just because a lot of people, patients, colleagues say that we have to um, work on this. So I have a a website at Yale that I have put some of this disinformation in, um, and then through you know um, media like like you like this conversation, um, I think I I I'm willing to um, to try to simplify and have the information out. Um, and quite honestly, since I'm very focused and I do clinical work and research, there's not a lot of time remaining. So <laughs> I try my 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 best. But I've been told by a group of people that I should work a little bit more on, um, on putting the information out in, in simple terms. Um, and that's why I, you know, when I got your, your invitation, I thought it's a good plat platform to um, go out and have a conversation. Yeah, well, the, the best communicators, um, you know, they do it simply. And um, 
I can tell you, for instance, I've seen, you know, it took me, I don't know, a year of wanting to read and understand scientific papers to be able to start reading them. It took a lot of effort, you know, and, and I, I always appreciate when a scientist comes out with a book that is consumable by the public. I see a lot of them come out with books and they list it as a textbook. You know, who's going to read that just with that label? Yes. And it's $150 or something. Yes. So there's a lot of basic things I know I think scientists can do to make it accessible to the public. And you know, you're not necessarily dumbing it down and you're calling more attention to it. And why not? Yes. I think I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. I think it's a time that we have to. And, I've, and I have, I, t- I tell you, I have probably four or five books <laughs> next next to the bed to to read and they are scientific but scientists are like very serious scientists have written them and they are accessible and i mean the, i i read um, uh, um lay science in other fields and i i i really like it and i think you're absolutely right i think we are not doing enough of this we are not like microRNA work has been around for now 20 years right we have not talked enough about that and uh, I, you know, I like to be part of the effort. I'm seeing how important it is to have people know. Um, I don't know if you know this or not. When we write grants, there is a part where where, where we are asked to uh, write uh, the proposal in maybe five sentences for um, for lay people, for you know, for for non scientists. And I tell you, that part is one of the hardest. <laughs> But I think it is, I think uh, to, to, to write those five sentences in a way, it, it, it makes sense. But I think it is energy well spent. When I go through that exercise, I come to the, 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 con- the conclusion that, you know, no matter what you do, saying it in a way that everybody can understand has a high value. You probably are familiar with, with Kurt, Kurt Vonnegut, right? The, yeah. I haven't really read his stuff, but I've heard of him. Yeah, so in one of his books, he <laughs> he's talking about the scientist, and the scientist says that um, <laughs> any any scientist who cannot explain his work to a five year old in like three sentences is a hoax. <laughs> Which was I read this a while ago, and I thought it's uh, what an interesting concept that. You know, if you are really into your science and you know what you're doing, you should be able to um, to to explain it in simple terms. But it's not easy. Um, um, and I, you know, I I like to try. Uh, I mean, you're just saying this, bringing it up. I think it's a, maybe I'll start writing something something simpler. <laughs> that uh, well, that's not- it's okay. I mean, you could do it in layers and stuff, but yeah, sorry. <laughs> Well, that's yeah. part of the translation here is me asking questions and, uh, you know, you're explaining. So you did a good sure. job. Sure. <laughs> well, yeah, well, well very Thanks. good, Sherman. Thank you for coming. And, uh, you know, you gave that resource and, and I appreciate you being here. Thank, thank you. And thank you for, for, for inviting me and uh, being a media for science to be talking to people directly. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. 
This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.